Blog Talk Radio. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Blazing Rye Radio. It's Thursday, December 16th at 2 p.m. Today on the show, from the Tony Award-winning musical Next to Normal, we welcome musical director Charlie Alterman. Here I go! Um, that would be funny 
to prank my coworker with. And um, shout out to uh, Wanja, who's listening in Norway. Shout out to little baby Jamie. Um, I know who you are, and thank you so much. And uh, thanks for the uh, saying you can't wait to hear Michael Fairman in the chat room there. That's awesome. Um, and I believe that we have our guests, so we are now joined by Charlie Alterman. Hello. How goes it? I am well, Charlie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm just hiding out in my apartment where it's warm. It is freezing, isn't it? It's a nightmare. It's a disaster. I mean, it's great if you're a moose, but other than that, not a lot of fun. Right. No, anyway. and we're not meese, so. Um, <laughs> so, Charlie, uh, now, you, for a long time, have been the musical director of Next to normal, and uh, uh, how how has that been? Has it been close to fantastic? It's been awfully close to fantastic, actually. It's I mean, it's the show is such a dream. Uh, it's it's going to be awfully hard to top it <laughs> with something else. Um, I mean, just the material is so incredible. The company is so incredible, and you know, selfishly, what I get to do in the show every night is so amazing. You know, like getting to play in every imaginable style, like you really flex every muscle and exercise every chop and you know, the story is so passionate, you get to really throw yourself in the scenes with the actors, and it's been a blast. It's been a blast, and the audiences have been amazing, and the band is just kicks ass. I mean, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you started doing that at Arena Stage, right? Is I did, right? yeah. We went down to, and we didn't really know when we went to Arena what the future was going to be. Um, you know, they made the very bold decision to take it back out of town after the show had played off-Broadway at Second Stage, because um, everyone basically agreed that the show wasn't finished and wasn't ready. And so, you know, I think in the back of everyone's mind was the hope that it would come back to Broadway. But, you know, the goal at the time really was just to, to get the show right and to find the show and, you know, figure out what it was going to figure out the final version or, you know, just complete the work, I guess. And so being a part of that process was hugely exciting. And, um, you know, and then lo and behold, the show really took off and, you know, got great reception down in D.C. And so they decided to pull the trigger and move us to Broadway. So it's been, but, you know, even still no one thought that we would run as long as we have. I mean, it's been such an incredible ride. You know, people always say to me, I'm yeah. so sorry the show is closing. And I'm like, how can you be sorry? We ran for almost two years. Everyone thought, oh, I hope we run for four months. You know what I mean? So <laughs> I, we're all really thinking of it as a celebration. You know, it's been um, really pretty good. Yeah, and the, the show does close in, in January along with them. Uh, in the Heights also closes in January. Some great yeah. shows closing. There's a um, lot of closing, which, I mean, I get, you know, every January people sort of freak out. Oh, my God, what's happening to Broadway? Look at all these shows closing. But it's also, it is kind of, you know, when shows close. So, um, but, mm -hmm. yeah, but this year there's there's like, there's a real, there's a lot. <laughs> yeah. I looked at yeah. the list. And like, you're, you're going to miss it, right? Oh, my God, hugely, hugely. Um, you know, it's just so satisfying playing this music every night. The score is so good. I mean, it's been a, a real yeah. gift in that sense. It's, and um, and the, there's so much passion in the story. You get to really, you know, I mean, I will say it's exhausting. I'm drained at the end of the night. So, you know, I'm, like, thinking about all the energy I might have for other things when the show is closed. But I'm going to, I mean, there's no doubt about it. I'm going to miss telling this story every night and, and seeing what effect it has on other people in the audience and how people are so moved by it. And I, I mean, it's, it's, it's just been an unbelievable ride. And I think more than anything else, I'm going to miss the company and, and just, you know, showing up to the theater every day and seeing this great group of people who've really become a family over this time. You know, I've seen a whole yeah. lot more of them than my actual family over the last two years. So <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's how it is in the theater. Exactly. Um, it's so crazy. It's sort of like, God, Mom, Dad, I've seen you in a couple of months, have I? But, you know, I see those people every day, so. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, so no. you also put together the, the, the tour. Is there any is. any difference between musically directing a, a, a show for Broadway and a show for the, the tour? Um, in terms of, uh, not really. I mean, the venues are a little bigger, so, I mean, sound-wise there's some differences, but in terms of what you do with the cast... Um, you know, we're really trying to make it the same, uh, you know, the same show that you get in New York. And I think, I like to think we've succeeded. Um, the tour really looks and sounds amazing. 
uh, it was so inspiring being out in LA and also just seeing a whole new company of people uh, take on these roles and what they bring to it really, you know, reinvigorated and re-inspired all of the material for me too and, you know, just seeing what people bring to it. Uh, it's been an exciting process. Um, you know, the set for, certainly for us is very contained, so, you know, it, 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 it really looks and feels the same uh, and will feel the same from city to city. Musically, it's pretty much the same. We made some slight changes just to accommodate, you know, like the, the saddest thing is that there's the piano has become a keyboard, um, but just the logistics of carrying a piano across, around the country is a little, or was a little too scary. And, um, yeah. and so was the thought of like renting one in every city and not knowing what you're going to get. Um, so, you know, but it actually, it, it sounds great. It sounds great. And our mm-hmm. sound designer is amazing. So really you get, you still get the same show, but um, it's been cool. Putting the tour together was an interesting process because four of the six actors in the tour had already done the show on Broadway in some way, shape, or form. So you kind of had a lot of people going in knowing the material, uh, but they hadn't done it with each other necessarily. So it was it was kind of cool because we had this whole rehearsal process to build the show again and, and find everything and find moments and tweak it. But like a lot of the nuts and bolts of notes and blocking and words were already in people's minds. So we got to really dig in much deeper, much faster. And I think it took it to just a whole other level. So it's, it's the, the, the tour is really exciting. Um, wow. Definitely worth, worth catching if you're, you know, around the country in a, in a city where it's coming, or even if you're in New York and, you know, zip up to Hartford, zip down to Philly or up to Providence or something, you know, pretty cool it's really pretty cool Hartford holla I'm from Connecticut no kidding we're in Connecticut (laughs) I'm from New Haven Elm City baby there you go there you go New Haven's a fun town oh it's the best Uh, have you have you spent time there not well my sister went to Yale so I used to visit her a lot Um, although this was back in like the early 90s when it was still a little sketchy but I went back there on tour (laughs) like seven or eight years ago and I was like oh my good god look what's happened to this town it's like you know hip restaurants and nice it was like all kinds of stuff going on that just was not there before so it looks like they're kind of getting it getting it together finally but yeah. even back well we in actually the... were <laughs> yeah we were actually just rated the 18th most dangerous city in the country which is Fantastic. better than <laughs> in the it's better than in the late 90s when we were rated the third most dangerous in the entire country so yeah. uh we are climbing um, or falling on that list, which is a good yeah. thing. But yeah, uh, it's but it's always you never know with those polls because like that time in the '90s, two years before that, we were rated as the um, the 26th best city in the country to live in, and then all of a sudden we're third most dangerous two years later. So yeah, oh so bizarre. Yeah. Well, and it's all statistics, which is never necessarily the same as what it's like actually just being there and walking around. But right, and we've acquired a nickname, of... Pistol Wave in New Haven. <laughs> which I love. Um, but you said something earlier that I thought was funny. You said it was really inspiring out in L.A., and I don't think you hear that a lot, that phrase. So. No, the show was okay. inspiring. I can't say I was inspired by L.A. I have a real love-hate relationship with L.A., mostly hate. Yeah, me but, too. Um, <laughs> you know, I'll, I love the weather, and I love the people. I have so many friends who have moved to L.A., and it's I, I always want to go there because I want to see them. And whenever I'm actually, like, in their houses or apartments or at a restaurant with them or wherever we're, we're going to go, I'm having a great time. And I'm like, oh, it's so beautiful out here and this and the other. But then getting from point A to point B, and it's not just the traffic, but, oh, my God, the traffic. It, but just yeah. you look out the window, and it's like the architecture is nasty. There's no sense of design or, like, it's just it's gross. It's a gross, ugly, sprawling, suburban mess of a town and it takes over an hour to get literally anywhere. So I, anywhere. It, it makes my head hurt. Although I did have an epiphany when I was out there that I, I think that's why everyone is so mellow and laid back in L.A. Because you cannot possibly accomplish more than two things in a day. So you <laughs> have to lower your expectations or you would implode. Yes, that's exactly it. You need to have that attitude out there. And, and I didn't, and that's why I only lasted two years there. But it is. I can't believe uh, it's yeah, it's, two years. Yeah, I mean, New York is such an efficient city. You can get so much done in a day that, you know, it just the whole pace of life is so different. But I kind of love that. Yeah, <laughs> I, used, uh, I love the, I love the the phrase nasty. Is that a, is that a, a mashup with shit and nasty? It's a little shit nasty. Yeah. 
And then it gives you, it kind of, I don't know, it like harkens to Shasta Cola, which really has nothing to do with the equation at all, but it's... it's oh, it yeah, it's Shasta, right? Shasta. But it really is mind boggling. I I don't understand what boggles the mind is you get in your car in LA and you just sit there going five miles an hour on the highway and there everyone else is doing it too, and I'm like, How have how have you not all just risen up as one and said, Fuck this, I'm out of here? Yeah. Like who people are like, Oh yeah, well it'll take some time but you just do it. I'm like, I couldn't last a week. I don't know how anyone well, does do you it. Know, um, you probably know Donald Byrd, right? Or you may be familiar with uh, – he choreographed uh, The Color Purple. Oh, yeah. I don't know him personally, but I know you know, I know who he is or I know his work. Okay. I did a workshop with him once, and we, talk, we were talking about L.A., and he goes, you need to give it a, a moment. And, uh, and I said, well, I gave it two years. And he was like, no, no, no. I was out there six years. And I was like, oh, you mean a long moment? Yeah. That's, that's not a moment. That's not a moment. You know, a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Especially up there. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, we were also downtown at the Amundsen, which is a whole other fascinating oh. world. I'd never. I mean, I think I had been to downtown LA like once, but I'd never really spent time there. And it's kind of wild because you, you know, it look like looks like a city, but feels like a city. I, I mean, it's it just so is not does not feel like LA at all, which in some ways was a good thing, but. You know, I was literally walk. You know, you'd walk from the hotel to the theater, and I was like, "We we really just could be in Houston." Like I, like there's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing to identify this. But it's also yeah. it's it's this bizarre culture where there are so many office buildings, and they're big and they're full. And I mean, people are there. People are working there. There are like many, 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 many people in downtown LA, and yet there's nothing going on. Right. And I look at it and I'm like, maybe I'm just an unbelievably practical person, but I'm like, if if you know that traffic is going to be just hatefully, hatefully bad until like eight o'clock, why would you get in your car right at five when you finish work and leave? Why wouldn't you like stay and go to the gym, meet a friend for dinner, go to a movie? Like, why is there not like tons of stuff to do in downtown to ride it out? I mean, I guess people have families, yeah. lives, but what right. are they doing? Uh, <laughs> But then if everyone did that, then, then the traffic would be a nightmare at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. This is true. I mean, you really just can't win out there. Unless yeah. you have a home business and you live in, like, Malibu and then, I, you know, go with God. But, <laughs> you know, for the rest uh, of us. But even then, it's like, and it's so, the other thing that's very bizarre to me is, like, if you're in New York, there is a sense of, like, a central meeting ground that, you know, I can be, I'm on the Upper West Side and I can have a friend in Brooklyn and say, great, let's meet, you know, downtown in the village or meet in Midtown or whatever, all the subway lines converge in Midtown and all that kind of stuff. There's no heart, there's no central nervous system in L.A. Right. So it's like you might live in Silver Lake and have a friend in Venice and it's like, well, okay, I'll come visit you, but it's going to take me an hour and 45 minutes to get there. But that's still local. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's so right. and then you have downtown LA, which ostensibly would be the center, but I think the reason it's not the center is that it's not in the center of town. It's all the way at the right. <laughs> uh huh. So it's yeah, it, I, it's just it wasn't it's a town that wasn't planned. Not to mention we're not supposed to live there. There's no water. <laughs> right. And yet there's palm trees and there's sunshine and there's pretty people. So I get the appeal. Yeah, it's an, it's a great place in a lot of ways, but you know, for for people like me or you, I guess it's just not us. Yeah, if you're working um, so, on uh, in New York, anyway, all of <laughs> so the LA you, um, love us right now. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> tried to save us just there with the great place, but you know, I don't know. Um, but uh, Charlie, you had a, a big night um, when uh, Next to, to Normal won the Tony, and uh, can you can you fill us in on just? what that night was like and if there was any debauchery that happened after with the cast parties and stuff? You know, we have, I think partly by nature of the fact that our company is so small, we're not really all that debaucherous. I think all the debauchery <laughs> was going on at the hair party down the block. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and, you know, by all means, um, when in Rome. Right. Uh, but, we, yeah. <laughs> um, but we did have a great party and, um, you know, it was, it was just a nice celebration. It's, you know, we have, it's we have the cast and the company is all very, 
close, but it's all it's it's I don't know. It feel it all just feels very adult. So it's, there wasn't a lot of scandalous debaucherousness, but it was an exciting, exciting, exciting night. Um, yeah. And you know, just to have won. I mean, these weren't televised, but the first chunk of awards um, that happened like in the hour before the broadcast. Where they do, which I love because I think they call them the Creative Arts Awards, which is to imply that the rest of the Tonys are not creative or artistic. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, we obviously we were all so pumped because we got so many, we got 11 nominations and we were, you know, over the moon about that. But there was obviously the humongous elephant in the room of Billy Elliot being the favorite to win all of them. Um, and so to have the first award of the night was orchestrations, which we tied with Billy Elliot. It was kind of like, oh. <gasps> wow, we haven't been completely excluded. This is exciting. There's some love. And, you know, while I was sad we didn't win more awards, I was so happy specifically about the awards that we did win um, for score, for orchestrations, for Alice Ripley, because I feel like the score is just so extraordinary. And Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie have done such amazing work that, like, seeing them get recognized uh, was really special to me. And then seeing Elton John, when he won, when he was – when they won the award for best musical for Billy Elliot, actually like in his speech gave a shout out to to Tom and Brian, which uh. I was like jaw to the floor. And it didn't even feel like, Oh, I'm going to be gracious since I lost best score to you. It actually was completely sincere. Like rock on. You guys are amazing. Keep riding together. I, you know, that blew my mind. And I would imagine wow. the minds of the Billy Elliot producers who were like, why are you talking about the competition? <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was a pretty it was a pretty cool night, and getting to, you know, perform at Radio City was, you know, it was my first time being a part of that, and that was pretty cool too. Um, you know, I was sitting in the back, and then the band, the crazy thing that they do, because obviously Radio City is totally not big enough to use the orchestra. You know, they literally don't have the band in the orchestra pit because they don't want to lose the real estate for the awards broadcast, which is hilarious to me. I'm like, we have what three thousand, four thousand seats. The point is. Um, the band is um, is live, but it's in a in a room on like the fifth floor. It's in a rehearsal room, and it's all piped back down to the theater. So when it's time for your number, um, you kind of leave. You, you're you know, I had like a strategic seat towards the back on the aisle, and kind of like sneak backstage and go up this elevator, and it's all just it was just all very cool. And you get to the room, and they were showing the rebrand right before uh, we did our number. I got up to the band room and the house band is there and I knew some people in in there so you're like waving hi to everyone and it's all this cool and exciting night. Uh, and they have the video monitors of the broadcast and they were doing the replay from the first hour and they showed a clip of Michael Starobin saying, you know, I'd like to thank our music director, Charlie Alterman, and everyone in the room cheered. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> it was a pretty <laughs> cool moment. Um, so that whole night yeah. was great. And, you know, and I got to see the Brett Michaels mishap live, which was totally exciting. I've got, you know, stories for weeks, for, for years now out of that. <laughs> the thing what, that was crazy going, that no one... your head when that happened? I'll tell you exactly what was going through my head when it happened was he... I was sitting all the way in the back, and Radio City is, as we know, quite large. And the this flat came down that had hit, whacked him in the head, and something, I think it was his hat, had gotten knocked off and was sitting right on the floor, right, uh, the floor of the stage right in front of the flat that had just come in literally looking like the Wicked Witch of the East's shoes sticking out of the bottom of the house. And I was like, is that <laughs> Brett Michaels? I was like, is that a jacket? Is that his face? Like, what's going on? I was so panicked. And then when it came uh -huh. back up and some stagehand came out, r ran out and grabbed the hat, I was like, oh, thank God, it's just a hat. But I really did not hear. And, of course, right after Brett Michaels was our little chunk of the opening number, which was like that – crazy I'm Alive mashup with Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. And so, you know, the flat comes out and Aaron's fate's on stage singing, and I'm like, wait, what? what? Like, I, I, I don't remember any of our performance because I was just going, is, that, is there a corpse on stage now? Like, what's happening? <laughs> so when we saw those horrible, horrible pictures of his face with the nose all whacked up, I'm like, oh, he's alive. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so you were happy to see him all bludgeoned. Absolutely. Who, who wasn't, really? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So crazy. Um, well, that sounds like quite a quite a night. Well, and you know, this is the mean, awful thing to say, but like that's what happens when you don't show up to the rehearsal, <laughs> you know. Oh, did he? So he didn't rehearse then? 
No, they had someone standing in for him that morning, and I guess they had told him, like, it's all timed, it's all tracked, like, you have to get back up, like, you have to leave the stage immediately, and he was just mugging for the audience, and I was like, oh, shit, you know? <laughs> um, so, so far, I'm winning big after... with people in L.A. and Brett Michaels. Let's see who else I get hey, at the end of the hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, so since Next to Normal is... is is closing in January. What do you, what's next for you? Do you know? Uh, you know, I have a couple of irons in the fire for like my next move show wise, although nothing's completely firmed up yet, but right, uh, right after we close, actually, I've got a cool thing coming up. I'm going to do a two week run, uh, at Feinstein's at the Regency with Brooke Shields, which we're just starting to put together now. She's never done a club act before. And she was sort of, uh, you know, wooed into doing it by a producer, um, you know, to try and kind of create a show that's, that captures, you know, the great spirit of who she is. And uh, I'm, I'm excited about it. I think it's going to be pretty cool. And it's a whole two-week run at Feinstein's, which is, you know, super deluxe. Because a lot wow. of people play there for like a night or two. So I think, you know, it, it could be pretty cool. So I'm definitely looking forward that's to that. That's the first two weeks in February. So I don't know too much about it yet because we're liter- literally just this afternoon we're going to start, you know, hashing through what we're going to do and putting the show together. But so far I think it's going to be, you know, the, the the ideas and the concepts we've been kind of kicking around, I think it's going to be a pretty cool show. So that's one to that's come awesome. check out. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, definitely. I'm super excited about that. And hopefully maybe a little vacation somewhere in there. <laughs> you know, we shall see. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you can use. I mean, I'm sure you can use it. The only time that you ever took off from from the Broadway show was to to direct a tour, right? To musically direct Pretty a much, tour. Yeah, that was the longest time I was ever gone. It was like two weeks. Um, you know, I I had a couple of like three, four, five day vacations for you know like when for weddings and that kind of stuff, but really pretty much but you know but none of those even were like let me just sit on a beach kind of vacation so i've really kind of been going non-stop for about two years it's, and you know it's wow. been unbelievably exciting so it's been worth yeah. it but i think my body is definitely ready to unplug for a minute <laughs> <laughs> um Maybe I should go that you way. <laughs> no you don't need to do that uh so uh, uh again um we have a question out of the chat room for you charlie uh this hey, hey. Is from <laughs> little baby Jamie, and she says, since I'm not anywhere near New York, the Tony Awards broadcast is sometimes all I get to see of the current shows on Broadway. Next to normal looked amazing from the performance I saw on the show last year. How much of a bump in ticket sales does a show get from appearing on the Tonys and supporting and, and performing a number in addition to uh, just being nominated? Winning. You know, I think that that's a great question. And, uh, I don't know like the actual number of the bump that we got, but I know that we that we got a pretty a pretty nice bump right after the Tonys, and I also got a lot of just calls from friends around the country going, "Oh my God, it was my favorite number of the night." I'm not just saying that because you're my friend. It looks so it looks so cool, and I will say even just the way they shot it and the fact I, I, like I was watching the awards show and thinking, and there were a lot of fantastic numbers that night. There were there was a lot of great stuff happening that year on Broadway, um, but it did feel like our number was pretty unique just in terms of what it was going for and what it sounded like and how it was shot and how it was performed. And, um, you know, it was definitely a big bump. I think that the nominations help a lot in terms of people saying, wow, look, this got a lot of nominations. It must be good in the same way that a good review helps. But, you know, in the way that word of mouth is even more popular because a friend that you know and trust said, oh, it's amazing, you got to go see it. I think when you see a little snippet of the show – it really, you know, that that's what seals the deal for a lot of people. Of saying, now that I know what it really is, and I have a a visual, and I know what it sounds like, and you know, I think that really makes people want to go see it even more than reading about it or hearing that it got nominations. Um, so, which I know is why the Tony broadcast is such a big deal too for producers, because you know, it's the one chance to really showcase a snippet of your show and let people who are all over the country. Um, or even who are in New York but just haven't seen it, get a chance to get a glimpse or a little window into the show. So it's a it's a pretty cool thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, so you've also uh, done other Broadway work besides Next to Normal. You were an understudy in uh, Martin Short's Broadway show Fame Becomes Me. Did you did you have a background in, in acting before you uh, understudied uh, for his show? Uh, a little bit. You know, I have I, – that was – I 
think kind of my first time acting, you know, per, like where someone paid me for it. But um, <laughs> the, uh, all the time I was growing up, I haven't as sort of an, an odd background. I guess it's not that odd, but, you know, all growing up, I really loved theater and I really loved music. And I never had a specific dream when I was a kid of being a music director. I had like a dream of, you know, like being a rock star and going on the road with Shaka Khan and, you know, playing keyboards <laughs> or singing for her or whatever. And I had dreams of being an actor. And I certainly did musicals because I could sing, and you know I was also playing all the time with just with my band or at a, alone at home, and you know whatever it might have been. So, and I also started playing for shows when opportunities came up. So, kind of all through high school and college, it's like I'd music direct a show, I'd act in a show, I'd music direct a show, I'd act in a show, and it wasn't really clear in my mind until pretty late on in college that music directing was probably a more viable career path. But I always enjoyed acting. And um, so, you know, getting getting to do something like Fame Becomes Me, where I was, it was I was basically hired for my musical chops, but the fact that I could act too was, I think, what sealed the deal. Like I, you know, I I love when I get to do a little of both because uh, I do miss performing. Although ultimately, yeah. I've been really really happy as a music director. The crazy story with Fame Becomes Me is, um, so I was hired at, actually as Mark Shaman's understudy. Because the concept of the show, it's um, it was Martin Short's kind of spoof of one-person shows, but then part of the spoof was that it wasn't a one-person show. He had Mark Shaman on stage at the piano. He had like a cast of, you know, four other people, and um, and so Mark was the kind of like the music director of the show. He wrote the score, and he had lines in it, and he played characters, and he also left the piano at times and played characters, and then would come back to the piano and play himself. And so the original idea was that he was going to music direct and conduct from the stage. And they hired me because, you know, he needed an understudy in case he had to miss a show. And the idea is that I would kind of play in the pit, and then if he was out, I would bump up. And by the time we got to San Francisco to do our out-of-town tryout, we had realized that there were enough spots in the show where he either had a costume change or an entrance where I would have to conduct it. And we had created this elaborate system where there was going to be like a wireless camera on him on the onstage piano and then a camera on me in the pit. And everyone in the pit was going to have a TV, a TV monitor clipped to their stand. And then I was going to have a, a control switch that flipped whether he was conducting or I was conducting. And it was all, and they had it all set up and it was, but it was all very elaborate and all very complicated. And in the middle of tech and stress and rewrites and all this stuff going on, I was like, Mark, I hate to bug you about one more thing, but, you know, we've got a show in a couple of days. Can we sit down and figure out what you're conducting and what I'm conducting and just make it all set? And he was he was kind of like, it's just all you. I'm, I, I've got too much going on. It, 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 and I was like, did this, did this just happen? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, wait, what? And he's like, I mean it. Renegotiate your contract. It's, it's, it's you. I was like, okay. <laughs> so suddenly I got kind of bumped up to to – conducting the show and then they actually kind of bumped me up I guess against a music director and then um, in the midst of all this by the time we got back to New York and we'd been running for a while one of the actors one of the other kind of like sideman actors in the show Brooks Ashmanskis who's like hysterically crazy funny um, was was like getting over a vocal injury and he was kind of out of the show a lot as he was trying to heal um, and so they kind of felt like they needed a second understudy for him, but you know they didn't know if they if it was really worth bringing someone else on. And through a crazy scenario, which I can tell you about in a second, they they basically ended up bumping me up to have me also cover for Brooks, and I did end up going on for him a couple times, which was wild because it really was just a straight up acting, singing, dancing comedy role. It wasn't even about being a piano player. Uh, and so I got all these crazy promotions, and the one thing that I was actually originally hired to do, which was to to be, you know, the standby for Mark Shaman, I never did because he never missed a show. So it was this kind right. of wild, wild ride. Um, but it was like truly the most fun I've ever had. I mean, I just the whole the nine months I was doing that show, I basically did not stop laughing once. <laughs> it was like the fun, funniest group of people, and just the, it, it was the the, fun, the funnest room and. You know, it was it was a total blast. It was for like the, the like for my first Broadway gig. Like you could not have, in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have like dreamed up something more amazing. I mean, it was pretty cool. I can imagine. Uh, well, that sort of answers my next question: is, is how, how was performing with uh, doing a show with Martin Short? Was he a lot to handle? Was he easy to handle? Did you handle him? He was. He was easy to. I mean, he was. Um, 
he was the only way that he was allowed to handle was in the best way because he was always so he was always on and he was always so funny. So just you're you're literally like laughing your ass off and your side splitting was like oh my god stop for a minute you know what I mean? <laughs> but um, really truly honestly he's like one of the most talented people ever. I mean, I, I God, I feel like I wish I had Dish. This is like the most boring interview ever. But like, truly, like, gun to my head. If you were like, we're with the National Enquirer, we're going to give you three hundred thousand dollars for a juicy story on Martin Short. I'm like, I honestly don't have one. He's like the sweetest guy ever. He's, you know, so generous, so sweet, so loving of everyone around him, so respectful. So, you know, he's just a prince among men, and he's like the funniest person alive. I was also kind of pinching myself the whole time because I'm not a very starstruck person you know like i've worked with a lot of stars and i'm all i'm always kind of i'm like the total typical new yorker that they're like oh my god that's so and so across the street and i'm like that's great can we get inside it's cold um <laughs> you know and i'm never like phased by the world of of celebrity but i feel like we all have that short list of people that we just completely idolize and go oh my god to ever get the chance to work with or meet so and so and you know it's probably only like eight or nine people but for me both martin short and mark shaman were on that list still are wow so the begin the whole beginning of that process, like literally the first few months, I kind of couldn't get past. I was constantly pinching myself, like, what am I doing in a room with these people? This is crazy. This is crazy. This is crazy. <laughs> um, you know, I've been such a huge, huge fan of, of Martin Shorts for years. Um, I mean, I always loved him, but then, like, particularly when that Jiminy Glick show rolled around, I was like, this is the funniest character anyone has ever created for anything <laughs> ever for any reason. I mean, it's, like, so genius. Yeah. To the point that literally yeah, that I would, like... I would like kidnap friends and be like, come back to my house. I taped because this is, you know, back in VCR land. It was like, it was like I taped this Jiminy Glick episode. We have to watch it together and like quote it constantly. I mean, it was ridiculous. So I was like, what am I doing in the room with Martin Short? This is crazy. Um, right. But he's just the sweetest, 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 funniest, coolest. I mean, unbelievable. Really, really unbelievable. And actually, the crazy story of where I ended up. Um, covering the other part too so we had one of the actresses in the show uh was in mad tv and she had a, a long summer hiatus so she started the show out but then shortly after we opened in new york uh she she had to kind of get back to la to start shooting again so for a few weeks she was able to do a dance where she was like in for a couple of days out for a couple of days and then she had to leave so uh when we replaced her um you know, when you replace an actor, you do a, a put in. You you rehearse them kind of on their own or with the other with the understudies, and then you typically do a put in rehearsal where you you know you do it on stage, you do it with costume changes, and you do it with light cues and with sound, and you bring in the other actors so that they can get a chance to work with each other before you have an audience. And uh, Marty was a little under the weather, um, and his voice was kind of fried, and he said, "This is horrible, but I can't come to the." put in rehearsal you know me i won't come there and be quiet but i can't if i if i you know sing and dance and dance around and talk all afternoon i'm not gonna be able to do the show and they were like don't worry about it you know and uh we'll like we'll have a stage manager walk your part and then they came up to me and they're like charlie can we actually put the mic on you because um, you know his timing and all that stuff and like the stage managers aren't going to be able to sing his songs and i was like sure that's fine and totally just to make the other people in the company laugh and thinking that it was only, you know, like the handful of us at the rehearsal. I used that as an opportunity to do my full tilt Martin Short impression of everything he did in the entire show. Uh -huh. And then at the end of the rehearsal, I come to find out like the producer was there, the director was there, like all these people. And they all came up to me. They're like, oh my God, your Martin Short impression is uncanny. That's so crazy. Like, how do you do all those character voices and all that kind of stuff? And like, your timing is this. I was like, okay, they, well, whatever, you know. And I, and then suddenly, like a few days later, like wheels started turning. People were like, wait a second. What if you, what if, would you be up for covering Brooks too? And so it was this crazy, like, there were so many pinch me moments throughout that whole process where I was like, is this really happening? You know, just it was so like never in my wildest like it, at the, at, particularly at the time. If you had said to me like, you know, if I was in like the Make a Wish Foundation and they were like, dream up your your dream Broadway show, I was like, well, I'd love to work with Martin Short. I'd love to work with Mark Shaman. I'd love to be music directing, but I'd love to get to act too. I'd love to you know do some funny mm -hmm. stuff. I mean, it was literally like every imaginable dream come true. And I was, and then I kind of hit a funk after the show closed because I was like, all right, 
this was in my mind like the job that I would get like at the peak of my career and I was like and now it's happened and I'm you know 32 years old what do I do now <laughs> but you know what's cool about this business is it's always an adventure and there's always some some new thing and you know I never would have dreamed that there was a next to normal and it's which is so unbelievably different than the fame becomes me show just the right. show itself is so different but so equally un- inspiring and gratifying and and again kind of like how am I ever going to top this so you know and what's odd I'm I mean I guess I, just, I must just be a bundle of contradictions but it's like as different as those two shows were it's like I feel like that if you throw them all into a pot, it's like that's my favorite stuff. It's like I love things that are either yeah. just like crazy balls out entertaining or just unbelievably passionate. And so now I've tried right. to do to do both, and hopefully I'll get to continue to do both. You know, I might be up for a comedy yeah. now after next <laughs> after the after the two you know years with all the, the this incredible but very heavy material. I'm like, oh, maybe I can do a comedy now. That would be great. Right. You know, uh, well, Charlie, can you can you break us off with uh, your favorite uh, Martin Short impression? Oh my God, I don't even know what to do. I mean, it's usually all about Jiminy Glick. Um, who, How can you do yeah, that? Well, then there's a there's a, and there's a lot of things because you know there's a lot of range in what he says. <laughs> and then and then and sometimes sometimes it's condescending. And sometimes it's so sweet and you. Da, 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 da. <laughs> That's kind of my favorite. <laughs> Great. That's spot on. Um, so uh, we have uh, another question out of the chat room. Before we um, stop talking about Broadway stuff, uh, Christy wants to know um, where can she go to find out information about the touring version of Next to Normal? That is an amazing question. Christian question. Question, Christy. Toy boat. Toy boat. Toy boat. Um, you can go to nexttonormal.com. And uh, once you get to the homepage, there's, like, a thing to click for Broadway information and a thing to click for tour information, and it has the whole tour itinerary. Um, and all of the cities where tickets are on sale, you can actually click right on a link to buy tickets right from there. Um, so it's pretty cool. You can see the whole schedule. We go through July of next year um, and hit some pretty cool towns. So I know it's it's – it's hitting some great places and it's going a lot of places, but it's not really hitting the whole country. So depending on where you are, you know, I say use it as an excuse to craft a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> Look at the effort. I say, ooh, I've always wanted to go to fill in the blank. You know. Duluth. Exactly. I've had dreams of Duluth. I've actually performed uh, in Duluth, believe it or not. I did like this crazy bus and truck tour of Greece years ago and, uh, we went to Duluth, and I actually was like, this is kind of a pretty town, but it's amazing what expectations will do. You know, I'm, yeah. I don't know if Duluth is actually an amazing, beautiful town or if I just my <laughs> expectations were so unbearably low that I was like, oh, it doesn't suck. It's not a shit box. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'm not even sure. This is the second week in a row where a city has been mentioned on the show, and, and, and well, last, last week uh, Annapolis was mentioned, and three of us on the line didn't know where it was. And we thought in Maryland, and I think that's right. And Duluth, Maryland, I'm not even yeah. sure. I mentioned it, but I'm not even sure where that. Where is Duluth? Duluth is in Minnesota, and it is awfully far north. I mean, we were. I want to uh, say I was there in like October or November, and it felt like it is now in New York. I was like, this is. I was like, how does how honestly how does anyone live here? And yeah. what makes someone <laughs> think I want to move someplace where I can't be outside for seven months of the year? Vampires, maybe. Maybe it's all a town full of vampires. I guess. I mean, it's pretty, and it's kind of built into a hill, and there's water nearby. And I was saying to one of the locals, I was like, oh, it's so charming here. I had no idea. So they're like, yes, they call us the little San Francisco. And I was like, okay, calm down. <laughs> right, no. You know, we're uh, in Minnesota. Yeah. It's freezing. It's, you know, but it is pretty. It is It is definitely pretty. And there was, like, some, some kind of charming stuff going on there. But, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of we wild. We have another question out of the chat room. From, uh-huh. uh, this is from... Wanja from Norway. How about that, listener? Well, hello. Hey, and the show is in Norway right now. Is it really? Shout out to everyone in Norway. Yeah. The show's playing in Oslo, and I've seen little clips of it online, or mostly from, like, press events, but there was one kind of promo thing from the show. It looks amazing. Um, And I know Tom Kitt and Brian Yorkie were out for the opening, and we're just so blown away by it. So 
I forget how long it's run. Wow. Maybe I can sneak there for, for a little vacation because that'll be warm in January. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh-huh. anyway, um, yes. Her question is: uh, As a musical director, do you have a dream musical you would like to do, or anyone in particular uh, you would like to work with, uh, other than who who you mentioned before? Yeah. Um, oh God, you know, there's a lot of musicals that I love. Um, it's hard to say. Sometimes I feel like my dream musical maybe hasn't been written yet because I always love to work on new things. And I've, you know, I've been really lucky. I remember seeing Next to Normal off-Broadway and having this unbelievable feeling of, like, I want to do that. And it was bizarre because it wasn't even, as far as I knew, the show was going to finish their run and then be done. So it wasn't even specifically I want this gig, although who knew that there was a gig to be had and I would have it. Um, but it was like, I want to do things like that. And then, you know, it was like jaw to the floor when I got the phone call, you know, hi, it's Tom Kidd. I'm, you know, doing this show next. And I was like, what? Um, but I will say other shows that are personal favorites of mine. I'd love Light in the Piazza. I've always mm-hmm. thought I would love to do that show somewhere sometime. Um, I love, uh, there's a lot of the Sondheim shows that I really love. Um, and hopefully I'll get to do, I've done some of them in like, you know, college and that kind of stuff, but hopefully I'll get to do some more, you know, some point in my life. Um, and there, and then random stuff, like I'm always have had a a real, I've always had this very intense dream of conducting, um, on the town, which is kind of random because the show, I, I actually do like the show. I think it's a sweet show. And I think that the, a lot of the songs are great and the book is like quirky and fun. Um, but it's not even that it's this perfect show, but that it, it, although it's great, but that dance music, that there's like these ballets with symphonic music that's so gorgeous, and I've always kind of had dreams of conducting that with a full orchestra, or even just seeing it and hearing it with a full orchestra, which they actually did it at Encores a few years ago, and I was when I was in D.C. with Next Normal, so I couldn't get up and see it, and I was like, this might be my last chance, so maybe somehow in my life I'll find a way to, you know, put that together and... I don't know, a symphony or something. Find a way, find someone who wants to pay thirty musicians and a bunch of dancers and and get it together. Um, that can't be that hard. Yeah, no, it's cheap, easy, easy, <laughs> and it's easy music. So you know, and it, oof. Yeah. <laughs> some of that stuff is crazy, but you know, I don't know. So yeah, but those are some of my favorites. Cool. And anyone who, uh, in particular, you'd like to work with? Oh God. It's so hard to say. There's some. I, I mean, I, there's. I have like a. There's in some ways like a huge list, and in some ways I feel like I've gotten to work with a lot of them already. I've been really lucky. So, I don't know. There's not like one specific person sticking out that I'm like I'm dying to work with them. Although I'm sure as soon as I hang up the phone, I'm going to think of seven. So. <laughs> That's just how um, Juan just says that she'll have to go to Oslo now. Go see the show. Absolutely. And it's also playing in Helsinki, or is about to be. I don't know. I can't remember if it's open. I think it's open there, yeah. That's awesome. Scandinavian um, countries are, 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 are very hot on the show, but I'm, I think it's very cool. And it's wild seeing cool. it and, like, hearing it in different languages, too, because it's been translated to Norwegian and, and Finnish. Oh, that must be so crazy to hear it in oh, yeah. languages. Yeah, well, because both of those languages have so much more going on with consonants, so it kind of yeah. changes the sound, which, you know, especially on a lot of those rock tunes where you're kind of like screaming at each other, it's like, oh, God, it's got to just make it sound so cool. Yeah. Um, hear that. So, uh, Charlie, we're going to play a game we always play on the show. It's called Hot or Hot Mess, where I give you a list of things, and you tell me if they're hot or a hot mess. Are you ready? <laughs> I love it. All right, let's open it up. Oh, God, who's a mess? I'm say the buzz on it is a hot mess, but I think the actual show might be really hot. Yes, and here's hoping so. Um, how about Broadway Sessions with Ben D, hot or hot mess? Okay, I'm embarrassed to, to, to say that I don't really know Broadway. I don't know about them, so I'm going to say hot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fair enough. Justin Bieber, hot or hot mess? 
Um, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I'm going to say hot. You don't need to be embarrassed. Well, I'm not really a, I'm not really particularly a fan, and I'm always kind of like, I always, you know, judiciously roll my eyes at anyone who's like exploding like that and and you know so packaged. But when you actually watch him perform, like he can really sing. Like he's he's a talented boy. So I'm gonna say hot. Okay, cool. Um, how about Kanye West, hot or hot mess? You know, he's a hot mess, but I love him for it. So I'm a, he's a hot mess that I'm a big fan of. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, you know, it's with him, I, I love him. I'm a huge fan of his, and I love the new album, too. And he, uh, we were talking, Colleen Fink from As the World Turns last night was talking about uh, her character on the show where she's the kind of person who never learns from her mistakes. And I think that's the kind of person that Kanye is, but yeah. that's okay with me, you know? Well, and he's also, but he's, he's owning that, and that's why I kind of love him for it. <laughs> Almost to the point that I'm exactly. like, is this all an act? I don't think it is. But it's no. like, you have to, at some point, it's like, you have to be kidding me, really? <laughs> and like those tweets, I don't, I like can't bring myself to participate in Twitter because like I already have too much of my life sucked up by the internet. But, um, you know, I've uh-huh. read articles that just quote his Twitter posts and it's like, oh my God, what's happening there? <laughs> But they're also kind of brilliant in their own way. Yeah, uh, totally brilliant. Um, it, even in Rolling Stone's five-star review of his new album, the first sentence is like, uh, nobody sane could have made an album like this, but they're giving a five-star review. <laughs> you know? Exactly. Uh, yeah. Next up on Hot or Hot Mess, this is from, where are we here? This is, uh, yes, um, uh, a fellow Broadwayer. This is Leah Delaria's Ethel Merman impression. There's no business like show business like no business I know. There. That's hot. Hot? Okay. I think that's hot. Awesome. I kind of well, love her. Do you love her? I do. I mean, I, certainly, it, it, she certainly has her moments of hot madness, but I think she's fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, she's amazing. She's she was on the show and she was uh, so so hilarious. Oh my um, god! This is while we're on this. Uh, this is comedian Jordan Ferber's Ethel Merman impression. There's no business like show business. There's no business I know. Textbook hot mess that I actually have to say it's hot. 
I think it's hot the best. <laughs> so maybe it's like a, a hot hot mess. Yes, that's the hottest of hot messes. Burning <laughs> yeah. up Last the stuff on hotter. <laughs> Last up on hotter hot mess. This is Jonathan Demar's rip torn impression. And after that, he sort of says, he says, "Somebody owes me a martini," and the whole <laughs> table cracks up. Like, Somebody owes me a martini. That's definitely hot. 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 That's definitely what? hot. <laughs> What'd you say? I, I think that's hot. You know, it's weird because sometimes Rip Torn calls in the show in the middle of the... the I want to take you on the beach. <laughs> it's so weird because, so, like, I, I am in the middle of an interview... I keep guns in my apartment. <laughs> Get off the line. Um, so Does this mean that Jiminy uh, Glick is going to start interrupting interviews? <laughs> well, I think Jiminy Glick will, def- Glick will definitely be on Hot or Hot Mess. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, that is so not true. That is so unfair. <laughs> I think it's wise and I think it's brave. <laughs> um, so crazy. Okay, so, uh, we... <laughs> We uh, no, that was great. We only have a few minutes left, but uh, how, uh, Charlie? How did you get started in this crazy, crazy biz we all love to hate? I know that you, uh, your major in college was was American Civ, right? It is. God, you're good. Oh, thank those, you. Th- those those <laughs> Facebook privacy rumors are no joke. Um, no. <laughs> I actually was. I you know what? I truth be told, I did a lot of um, theater in college, and I did a lot of music, uh, and a lot of music directing, and. I, I actually started music directing in high school kind of by default. Um, when I was a uh, freshman, I, they were doing Little Shop of Horrors as a fall show, and I tried out, and they were like, look, we think you're great. We're not really considering you for any of the leads because you're a freshman, and we could throw you in the ensemble. We're kind of m- creating one. You wouldn't have much to do. We know you play piano. Would you want to assist the music director? And I was like, you know, they were like, it just might be more interesting for you. And I thought, sure, why not? I'll try something new. And I just ended up really kind of digging it. It was never something I'd, you know, thought of as a, a, a specific thing. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Um, so that's sort of what started me, you know, what where I first, like, you know, drank the Kool-Aid or whatever you want to call it. Um, but <laughs> I kept um, I kept I doing not. it in uh, – in high school and college, and then actually it was a couple of summer stock jobs in college where I really got my start. Uh, I worked in uh, this crazy theater called The Weather Vane, which is in a barn in New Hampshire um, after my sophomore year and after my junior year, which truly to this day is still the hardest thing I've ever done. Because uh, not only is it one-week stock where you're throwing up every show in, in a week, it's rotating reps, so you're, so you're literally rehearsing a show during the day and then doing a different show every night. Um, completely psychotic, and uh, and wow. so truly everything I've ever done since is like, oh please, what we have two, a three week rehearsal process? This is gonna be fine. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was like invaluable. And then right after my senior year in college, uh, I started working at the Williamstown Theater Festival, um, and I was there for around eight or nine years. And that's where I really started meeting people who like who did theater in New York and, you know, started, you know, and so I think in a way, if you look at anything I've done since, you can trace it back to one of those two summer stock, stock jobs, which is kind of, kind of crazy. Um, wow. I want to take you on the beach. Yeah. Uh, come on. <laughs> Uh, and um, Charlie, before we go, you are—you uh, have a famous nickname around town, the the Jew who would work on Christmas. Uh, can you talk about how that came about? Oh, it's, yes, that's the old—that's that's, that's the old nickname, but it, it, but tis true, tis true. Um, I used to work um, at this really fun piano bar called Brandy's, and I literally started there. I think I was in college, or I might have been right after I graduated. I can't remember, but it was—I had friends. Actually, from from that summer stock theater in the barn in New Hampshire, who worked there, and um, they literally didn't have anyone to work on Christmas, and they were like, "We need." They're like, "Is there a Jew who plays piano in this town?" It's not usually a prob- a predicament, but um, they uh, 
they were they were like, well, we should call we could call Charlie. He's kind of funny. He pl- he sings. He plays. And so my first time working there was on Christmas, like way back in. Well, we don't need to discuss it. But point is, uh, and then I kind of <laughs> took off from there. And I, and I've actually worked many Christmas there. Even last year, in the midst of doing Next Normal, we were off on Christmas. And um, my friend Adina, who's hilarious and who's great and who's one of the waitresses there, called me and she was like, they were going to close for the first time in like decades ever because they didn't have anyone to work on Christmas. And she was like, I'm going to call Charlie Alterman. Hang on a second. And I was like, (laughs) and I was like, absolutely. Why not? For all time's sake, it was so funny. Wow. That was pretty. Yeah. That's (laughs) That's awesome. I wish it was was a more inspiring story, but, you know, it was fun. And still fun. Well, what's the new nickname? You have a new nickname? Um, God, I don't know if I really do. Because this you is so, that it was so the fascinating, old one. so yeah. scintillating. Let's see if we can come up with one now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take some, we'll, we'll, we'll take uh, suggestions from listeners. <laughs> okay, well, uh, yeah. I'll end up with a new nickname, Herbie. What? <laughs> um. Well, Charlie, thank you so much for coming on. Break a leg with your your closing in January, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Anytime. You take care. Rock on. You too. Ciao. Bye. Take care. Bye. All right. That was Charlie Alterman from Next to Normal. And uh, remember to catch us uh, with Michael Fairman December 28th on uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern. And I believe... Uh, we will have a show next week, but I need to work out some kinks first. And I'll, uh, you know, just follow Blaze and Rye on Twitter, and I will announce it there. Be sure to check out yesterday's Today's Pick episode with um, the two-time Emmy-nominated Colleen Zink. And if you're listening to this on the iTunes podcast, I thank you so much for downloading. Uh, so lastly, um, remember, if it ain't showbiz, it ain't a biz. And lastly, somebody owes me a martini.